You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. Today, we'll be talking about all things relievers. We'll be going over my personal closer ranks, talking about our strategy when it comes to saves and saves plus holds leagues, and going over the top holds leaders from 2022. Later on, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Jake Crumpler to get his thoughts on relievers as well. But, John, before we get into everything, how are you doing? Did your TGFBI draft finally end? It did. We managed to get to round 30. Nice, um, nice. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, I think we left off last time with me picking up Kendall Graven, which is oddly, um, you know, fitting for, for today's podcast. Um, ended up going with, like, a mix of just grab bag pitchers and just backup uh, outfielders who might be able to do something. Um, it, it's kind of rough at the end of these 15-team drafts, you know? uh the, the guys you're picking from are just it's just really tough um, yeah it really dries out <laughs> yeah i so i went with uh, just kind of a rundown my last eight picks because i think that's where we left off um nick pavetta who i don't trust at all um, i'm a big nick pavetta fan because he won me a championship two years ago so big nick pavetta well, fan. <laughs> hey if i could get that version of nick pavetta i'll take that yeah yeah um, He's oddly favored in like um in PL projections. I think they have him for like 172 innings, but then 172 Ks. So it's like Nick Pavetta with a with a nine uh, K per nine. I'll take that. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, I mean, we'll see if that actually happens. But, right, you know, <laughs> yeah. is what it is. Um, and then Adam Duvall, who is always kind of this fun, like he might hit 30 homers just randomly sort of guy. Um, who you know, we'll see how that goes. Kyle Gibson, who's the opening day starter for the Orioles, and. Uh, there's there's a reason why he's in that position. Um, Alex Wood, who, uh, man, he failed me last year real hard. But, yeah. you know, second time's a charm. Michael Waka, who, like, kind of has a, a nice position in, in the Padres rotation. Um, a lot of people are actually kind of annoyed that the Yankees didn't sign him because right. with their rotation issues, they definitely could have used a back-of-the-rotation guy like Waka. Um, Akil Badu, we'll see if he actually plays this year. Well, I mean, if he's good enough. Um, Steven Okert, who is maybe a name we'll talk about on this podcast. He's kind of a sneaky holds guy for Miami. Um, but if Dylan Floro somehow doesn't work out, Okert might pick up some safe opportunities there. And then I've just finished out with Ramon Urias, who just a nice, you know, middle infield, corner infield eligible guy. Um, might get some steals in Baltimore, and we'll, we'll see how that all works out. Yeah, I like those last few picks. I mean, you got a lot of upside starting pitchers that you can give you good innings and strikeouts. You filled out pretty nicely. I really like what you did with that. Yeah, uh, it's kind of fun doing these leagues because, you know, I'm going up against guys like um, uh, Scott Pianowski, who does fantasy for Yahoo, yep. and then um, Tristan Cockroft, who uh, kind of one of those OG fantasy guys for ESPN. Uh, but then there's just guys like me who just, you know, runs a weekly podcast and edits for a pitcher list. Uh, <laughs> you know, just... Just also uh, hanging out and doing some fantasy baseball. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun season for sure. Hey, don't underestimate your value, King, okay? Know your worth. You yeah. belong with these ranks, okay? You uh, might not be you. as Appreciate long it. in the field, but you are there. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, don't devalue yourself. But yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> it's it's a big honor to be a part of TGFBI, regardless of if you're an editor or a longtime fantasy player. Like, 
it's so cool to be included in this. And Justin Mason does such a good job of including everybody from the industry, whether you run your own fantasy site or you're the most popular fantasy player of all time. So really cool thing. And it's always for a good cause. So without a doubt, big shout out to Justin Mason. Thank you for hosting the CGFBI. And thank you for having a couple of guys who just host the podcast in that. And me for three years, John, you for one. So hopefully many years will be in this league. (laughs) But talking about a different league, we're talking about the World Baseball Classic, which Mm -hmm. has been super, super entertaining. It has been Mm -hmm. a lot of fun to watch. I have enjoyed myself. Now, there's been a lot of controversy around the WBC because we'll get into it in just a moment. But there was a big injury to a player that is pretty crucial to a team that happened after a game. It was during a celebration of a win. But a lot of people on Twitter and the news and all of these media sources are saying, oh, the WBC should be stopped. It's just an exhibition game. No one cares about this. John, what are your thoughts on that whole ordeal? I'm not allowed to swear on on PitcherList's uh, (laughs) podcast, but I just think that's a load of crock. Um, I think the WBC is great. Um, In fact, I'm actually a little more bummed that we don't have better players like specifically on on the u.s team playing for us um you know you guys like Clayton kershaw who wasn't able to play because of an insurance clause in his contract i believe um and the injuries that you that you're going to see in the wbc like they could also just happen in spring training um i don't think there's anything specifically about the wbc that makes it more dangerous for players um, if anything, I think we get to see fun stories come out of the WBC. You know, we got to see um, that kid from, I believe it was, was it Nicaragua? Nicaragua, yeah. Yep, yeah, awesome. He he struck out three players. I just remember Devers was one of the guys he struck yeah, out. Yeah, it was and, Soto. And Soto, Devers, and... I think it was Machado or Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, one of those two. Basically, right after the game, a Tiger scout went up to him and, and signed him to a minor league contract. Like, this is an opportunity for guys like... Um, like like uh, that pitcher to get a little bit of uh, FaceTime. Maybe they were passed over initially when, you know, you, you do all these like international signings back when kids are like, you know, 16 years old. Um, and now he has a chance in, in the, in, in major league baseball. Um, you got other fun stories like the yesterday, the Colombian um, United States game. Um, it was basically a done deal in the ninth inning, but the, the cameras kept on actually pointing over to the great Britain manager because um if Colombia won that game, the United States would have still gone to the to the quarters, but then Colombia would have automatically qualified for the WBC next year. However, if Colombia lo- lost that game, then Great Britain automatically qualifies. Right. Um, and they had gone through like a pretty tough qualifying um, ordeal themselves to get into this version of the WBC. And one of the players that everyone was hoping to play for them, Jazz Chisholm, ended up not just, you know, because of injury risk and things like that. Um, but stories like that, you know, I think it's important to grow the game of baseball. Um, it's it's definitely a sport that has slowly lost its shine over the last, you know, decade, two decades or so with, you know, steroids and, and what have you. But honestly, any opportunity to grow the game, I think, is better, um, even if it is, you know, somewhat risky for players. The, the WBC already, like, puts so many restrictions in place to make sure that players are safe, um, that they're not overworked. And it's hard to stop freak accidents like what happened to Edwin Diaz last night. That's just, that's just going to happen from, from time to time. Yeah. So the pitcher is, I hope I don't butcher his name and I'm sorry in advance, but his name is Duke Hebert or Duque Hebert. 
Okay. He's from the team Nicaragua. He's mm-hmm. 21 years old, and he struck out Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, and Rafael Devers, and then after the game was approached by a Tiger scout and signed a contract. Like, yeah. that is so awesome. That is the coolest thing that can happen. I think I quote-tweeted it and wrote, this is awesome, because it really is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity he would have never gotten, but this young man went out there and struck out three of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball mm-hmm. and then yeah. got himself a contract. I mean, it changed his life. So mm-hmm. really awesome. My opinion on this whole thing, And once again, we just said the player was Edwin Diaz. We'll get into the injury in just a moment. But I'm a Mets fan, and Edwin Diaz is the best closer in baseball, and he's on the Mets. He just signed a big five-year deal with Mm -hmm. the Mets, over $100 million. And my opinion on the whole thing is, like you said, I agree with you. It's a crock of garbage, really. I mean, the WBC is so awesome. It is so entertaining. It is awesome. I truly care about it. I love seeing talent from other places and countries and just people I could never watch before that aren't mm-hmm. in Major League Baseball. So I really do enjoy the WBC. I love rooting for Team USA. I love watching it, just seeing Team Japan and seeing the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and Colombia. It's just really cool to watch all of this and consume it as a baseball fan. Now, sure, there is a side where I see people saying, this would have never happened if you were just doing spring training or whatever. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Edwin Diaz might not be jumping up and down and celebrating in spring training, but the Mets literally one day in spring training (laughs) (laughs) celebrated winning. So Uh, I could see both sides of the coin, and I get the frustration. Trust me, as a Mets fan, I am so frustrated. I feel so bad for Edwin Diaz. Mm -mm. It sucks. It really, truly does suck. But it's just a freak injury, and it could happen at any time to any player Ever. One time Jerry Blevins tripped over a sidewalk and broke his hand or something. Like, things just happen. And you can't really stop that. What, are we going to wrap these players in bubble wrap during spring training and proceed to the season? Like, you can't control that. Like, Freddie Freeman tweaked his hamstring, which we'll talk about later in the WBC. Uh Edwin Diaz, like I said, obviously hurt himself in a celebration. But it's something that I think is needed to grow the game of baseball. There was a stat I saw that the Japan and China game that took Uh place that 46% of households that had television in Japan were watching that game. Mm-hmm. 50% of the population in Japan were watching that game. That is pretty remarkable. So yeah. you can't tell me that it doesn't mean something more than mm-hmm. just regular MLB. Right. And I, honestly, I, I do think sometimes that like we have a very uh, American-centric view to how the WBC is played because, I mean, obviously, like, we know a bunch of these players. Right, and, of course. You know, all these players are also part of the MLB, right? They're not part of you – know, the really good players aren't part of other foreign leagues. So right. it, it's – we kind of think, like, oh, we can already see the best, you know, when we watch the major leagues. And that and that's somewhat true, right? The World Series, in some respects, is, is always just going to be the best players in the world. Um, You know, that might not always be the case for the WBC. But – just yesterday's game alone, like if you take everything that happened after the ninth inning out of the game, Puerto Rico just beat basically yep. the odds on favorite to win the WBC. Yep. Like it's incredible, right? It was like, an exciting like, game too, the whole yeah. way through. It was incredible to watch. Yeah. So it, it's just like drama like that. You just won't always get to see in the world series in a kind of a, you know, these one game sort of matchups, everything one game decides everything. Um, I just think it's just so much fun to to see these guys just play their hearts out. And you saw it in that celebration. They were all super excited. Just un- unfortunately, it ended like really bad- badly for the team. Yeah, I mean, this format is like the Super Bowl, essentially, where one game knocks you out. And 
it's really cool for the sport of baseball. I mean, I wouldn't want that in the World Series or the playoffs. Let's not get no, it twisted. Not. But yeah. for this format, it is such an awesome tournament to be able to structure it like that. And mm -hmm. even just going back to the injury, it's not even like they had a huge celebration. They were dogpiling on him, and they sat yeah. on his leg and broke it. No. I don't even think he was jumping. I think that I think just he, like, pressure like or... a little bit and just yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, it just kind of went the wrong way and he was down and mm -hmm. that just sucks. That's something that is a freak accident. It could happen to anyone and it's unfortunate that it happened to such of a magnitude of player as Edwin Diaz, who's the right. best closer in all of baseball that just signed a 100 million dollar contract. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that you shut down the WBC for, okay? Like, players shouldn't not go to the WBC because they're afraid of this happening because this is just a freak occurrence. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's our opinions on the WBC in case anyone was wondering because I've seen a lot of speculation on Twitter, a lot of arguments, and I just think it's a bunch of hoopla because I think the WBC is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But... Before we get into the heart of this episode where we talk about relievers, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Now, we'll get into my personal closer rankings for 2023. Now, obviously, with the Edwin Diaz injury, it shakes up everything a little bit. I originally had Tier 1 being Edwin Diaz 1 and Emmanuel Class A 2, but now I've restructured it a little bit, and we'll get into that now. So, I like to tier off my rankings into where I'm comfortable grabbing a guy. Like, let's say... I want a tier one reliever and two tier two relievers. I know where the last guy is and I can grab that guy in a draft. So I like to section off my rankings, whether it's starting pitcher, first base, second base, all the positions. I do it like this. I tier them off. I rank them how I think they'll be for the season, who I'm most confident in. And that's how I form my rankings. So for my closer rankings, now this is only for saves leagues. We have 30 relievers here. Well, a lot more because I talk about possible guys who can close, but these are my rankings. So We've got tier one is one, Emmanuel Classe, two, Josh Hader, three, Devin Williams, four, Rizel Iglesias, five, Ryan Presley, six, Ryan Helsley, seven, Jordan Romano, eight, Felix Bautista, and nine, Kenley Jansen. Then we have tier two, which is 10, Clay Holmes, 11, Camilo Duvall, 12, Alexis Diaz, 13, Daniel Bard, 14, David Bednar. 15, Jose Leclerc, 16, Scott Barlow or Aroldis Chapman, 17, Pete Fairbanks or Jason Adam, 18, Andres Munoz or Paul Sewald, 19, Adam Adovino or David Robertson, 20, Kendall Graveman or Reynaldo Lopez, 21, Johan Duran or Jorge Lopez, 22, Evan Phillips or Bruce Dar Gratterall or Daniel Hudson, and 23, Craig Kimbrell or Sir Anthony Dominguez or Gregory Soto. And then tier three is the rest of them. 24, Alex Lang. 25, Carlos Estevez or Jimmy Herget. 26, Brandon Hughes or Adbert Alzale. 27, Kevin Ginkle or Joe Mantiply. 28, Kyle Finnegan. 29, Trevor May. And 30, Dylan Floro. So how I structured these rankings specifically are basically tier one are the guys that you know have the closer role and they're pretty secure and safe. 
So when we talk about strategy, I'll get into how I like to format my team around this kind of ranking system. But those are the tier one guys who I'm very confident. One through nine, Class A through Jansen, I think are going to be the closer for the whole year, hold down their job, and be solid. Then the tier two guys are guys that I think are going to be really good. And all these guys can honestly shoot up in the rankings. But there's a lot of mystery here. Obviously, from Scott Barlow, the Royals closer situation, all the way down to the Phillies closer situation. Obviously, there's a lot of good teams on here like the Mariners, the Rays, the White Sox, the Twins, the Dodgers, the Phillies, that all don't have a set closer named for their situation. So I can't really put them that high because I don't know who's going to be it. But my best guess is the first person I named for each of them. So Barlow, Fairbanks, Munoz, Adovino, Graveman, Duran, Phillips, Kimbrell. I think all of those guys are going to be the closer to start, but they could lose their job at any point. And then the tier three guys are the guys that are just kind of the rest of them. The guys that are on the teams that aren't going to win a lot of games and that are kind of questionable. That could be replaced at any minute and might not be the greatest option. So those are my rankings. John, do you have any questions? Do you have any things that you would flip? Who do you like? Who do you not like? Yeah, I, I'm notorious for hating on closers. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't like drafting closers early. But okay. I, I see a need for it. You know, it, it makes sense why you need to have kind of one of these, it, why you want to have one of these tier one guys um, on your team. Um, yeah, it, for me, I like for example, I dry, I drafted Ryan Helsley in in TGFBI, and it felt like pulling teeth for me. Okay, I was like, oh, I could have someone else better, like like a position player, you know, or a starter. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I do have to get, I have to get a a reliever, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on strategy. But, um, yeah, I, so when it comes to tiers, I think I'm kind of with you, and like, yeah, you you do kind of want to get a a, a solid dude, um, just just so you don't have to worry about saves. Um, I do like Camilo Duvall this year. I do feel like they've, I, I don't know if it's solidified the situation around him because they did sign Taylor Rogers in the off season, right. but it does feel like it's his job. Um, and the, or, the organization is behind him there. Um, another name, I don't, I don't really think it adds anything, but, uh, for the Cubs situation, you mentioned Brandon Hughes and Albert Azalea, um, but they also now have Fulmer and Boxberger. Yep which actually makes me kind of lower all those guys down because it's going to be even more of a closer by committee uh, situation there. Uh, if they don't really have like a guy that they can really rely on, all those guys are okay, but they're not like, you know, lights out closers. There, there's a reason why those guys aren't in tier two, you know, for example. Right. Um, Pete Fairbanks is kind of a, is kind of a PL darling. He's got a lot of good stuff going for him. Um, the, the, the problem though is, is just his situation, right? We don't know if the Rays are always going to go to him in the ninth inning in a save situation. Um, so, you know, if, if he, if we knew that he was secure in that, that place, like I, I would move him up the rankings for sure. Um, Hanley Jansen is one of those interesting names, um, uh, because I was looking at the, the, the bullpen for the Red Sox. And they literally have no one else. Yeah, they really don't. <laughs> Their setup man is Chris Martin, who yep. should not be confused with the lead singer of Coldplay. Yeah, um, <laughs> I yeah, the their their bullpen's kind of atrocious. But the thing with the Red Sox is that they could also just tell Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock, "Hey, we actually kind of like you better as a reliever," and then just you know put them in the bullpen, and all of a sudden, Kelly Jansen doesn't have a job. Right. Um. Yeah. So definitely some interesting. Um things here i overall i i think yeah the 
the names make sense. You know, if I have any differences with them, it's one or two spots. Like, I, I like Bednar a lot, but I have to realize he is on the Pirates. Yep, which is tougher. why he's right in the middle of the 30. He's 15 because of that right. reason, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it, And it's interesting, too, because a lot of times at the end of the day, even on bad teams, someone has to get saves, yep. right? So it's like, it's why, like, guys, it's why I kind of actually like guys like Hal Finnegan or Trevor May. Sure, they're number 28 and 29 on this list but they're going to get like 25 saves this yep. year. And if you have someone like Rysel Glacius, right? Um, and you know that he's going to get you, uh, let's just say, what, 35 saves? I, I don't know if that's... Yeah, that's a good projection. I don't know if he's really going to be there, but maybe, right? You got someone who's 35, someone who's got 25 saves, you got 60 saves right there, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean... And that's enough to compete, I think. Yeah, so we'll talk about this more in strategy, of course. But there's some guys that I really like to emerge. Like, I think Evan Phillips could be in mm, tier one yes. by the end of yes. the year if he holds down the job. Same with Sir Anthony Dominguez. I think he could be towards the top of mm -hmm. tier two if he yep. has the job. I like Kendall Graveman a lot. Uh, Johan Duran obviously could be a top five closer in baseball if he just has yep. the job. Pete Fairbanks well, is incredible. I think he's great. I love Jose LeClerc. Like, I like a lot of these tier two guys. But we'll save a little bit of that for strategy. So, yeah. So I, I was looking at these names, right, specifically the 22 and 23. Evan Phillips, Bruce Dargatterall, Daniel Hudson. These three guys are good relievers. Yeah. But none of them have the closer job, and so they can't go up in the rankings because you don't know how the Dodgers are going to split saves. Same thing with Craig Kimbrell, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Gregory Soto, and, the, and then Jose Alvarado also on that yep. team. It, they essentially have four closer caliber uh, players who could close for any other team. Gregory Soto closed last year for the Tigers, and I think he did fairly well. He had 30 yeah. saves last year for the Tigers. This year, he's at, if he's lucky, he gets 10, you know? And it's it's not his fault. He just is in a situation where he's part of a really, really good bullpen, and they have someone else that they would prefer to close. Um, and so it's just situations like that where it's like, if injuries happen, or if someone just falls off real quickly, someone like Evan Phillips or Sir Anthony Dominguez all of a sudden is climbing up these rankings because he now has the opportunity to get those saves. Yeah, without a doubt. So let me run through the list one more time, everybody, and then we will talk about strategy. So for Tier 1, we've got Class A, Hayter, Williams, Iglesias, Presley, Helsley, Romano, Bautista, Jansen. Then Tier 2, we have Holmes, Duvall, Diaz, Bard, Bednar, Leclerc, Barlow, Fairbanks, Munoz, Adovino, Graveman, Duran, Phillips, Kimbrell. And then tier three, we've got Lang, Estevez, Hughes, Ginkle, Finnegan, May, and Floro. So I already said all their first names. Hopefully you know who I'm talking about because we talked about it earlier. But that is my 30 rankings for saves with the guys that I project to be the closers. Now, the ones that I mentioned, multiple relievers, obviously anybody can win that job and we'll have to wait and see. But as of right now, of when we're recording, this is the current situation we've got, and it's kind of a mess. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about strategy for closers in saves leagues. All right, we're back and ready to talk about strategy for closers in saves leagues. Now, we're going to be talking about head-to-head -head and roto categories, not points. Points is a little bit different. It would take a long time to explain everything with points with relievers. So we're going to be talking about head-to-head -head and roto categories strategy for saves leagues. So, John, in a typical head-to-head -head or roto league, when it comes to saves, just the save category, how do you approach closers? What's your strategy, at least this year? 
I think with head-to-head, it's kind of what we talked about. You'd kind of need to get one guy who can get who you know will get saves, and then you could just get another guy who will will get some saves. Because at the end of the day, with head-to-head, you just need to beat the guy you're competing against, right? So if you have a better closer, most likely you're going to get more saves. It's it's kind of a dumb way to talk about it, but it's it's true, <laughs> right? Like if you have the better closer, you will likely get more saves. But you don't need to say draft two top 10 guys because that's just overkill right like you just need to draft one top 10 top 10 guy and then just maybe get a top 20 guy um and that's all you need for roto it's a little bit more interesting because you're competing with everyone right so it's more likely that all the teams that you're competing against have same calibers of um of closers and i think that's when it's interesting then to start thinking about other things like ratios um it's when you're like, okay, maybe you do get two top 10 closers and then you don't have to worry about closers at all. But then last year, for example, uh, in one of my leagues, I drafted, I forgot who I drafted, but I also picked up Devin Williams. And that was interesting at the time because in a saves league, Devin Williams doesn't have as much value because at the time he was the setup man to Josh Hader. Right. Right. And we didn't know Hader was going to get traded either. Um, And so... I drafted Devin Williams solely because in a this was a daily league too, so it was a little different. But I drafted him because I knew I could get good racials from him on a day to day basis. He, he ended up kind of stinking a little bit for right. part of the season. Yeah, yeah. But the intention was, hey, this guy's racials are good enough that I can take advantage of this kind of um, of people undervaluing him in this draft and pick pick him up in a later round. Knowing that, yes, he's not going to get me a ton of saves, but instead his ratios and his Ks um, are going to be good enough for you know a reliever I can start most days. So that's kind of where I'm at with, with head-to-head and Roto, um, the, like the difference between the two. I think with Roto, it's more important to get good closers with, with multiple good closers, whereas with head-to-head, it's you probably only need to get one. So my strategy for head-to-head category leagues, mainly, I think it's kind of the same as Roto, but... If I could get one of those top closers in my tier one, I'm happy with that. And then how I usually play it is I like to either get one of those guys in tier one and then not really take anybody else and then figure it out because I'm a very active fantasy player. And it's kind of what you need to know about yourself as a fantasy player, because if you know that you're going to be scouring the wire all the time, or you have a first come first serve free agency type of deal in your fantasy league, it's all about knowing what kind of player you are. Are you able to see the news on Reddit immediately when it pops up or Twitter and grab the guy right away? Or do you have the fab budget to do that? Are you going to be on top of those moves? It's about knowing your league as well. So I know that I'm very active and I will be able to pick up a player immediately or know the news of something as it breaks, mainly because we have to, because we have a podcast and we're writers and editors. So we do know this stuff a lot, but I also do stuff on Reddit and I get all that information immediately. So if I do take one of those guys in tier one, I usually just don't even care about anything else. Maybe if I see like a good value later on, I'll scoop up an Evan Phillips in the final few rounds. Sure. Yeah. Anything like that. But I know I'm going to be active and I know that at least half of this list, half of the guys in my rankings aren't going to be the closer by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So yep. as long as you're active and you pick up the guys that are getting those saves, you should be fine, especially in head to head, because you have to play your opponent, not everybody in the league. If your opponent has two closers and you pick up a third closer to fight them that week, 
you're going to possibly win. You have more closers, you have a tier one guy, and you have two guys who could get you saves. So when you go up against someone like that, you can do that. If someone's got four relievers on their team in a head-to-head league, maybe you don't try that week in saves. So it's all about knowing your league, your matchups, and how you play the game. But in general, I like to grab one of those tier one closers and then kind of wait back and pick and pluck on who I'm going to get because I know I'm going to get somebody on the wire who's going to get 20 saves. Now, for Roto, I think it's even more important, and I put more of an emphasis, especially this season, on getting one of those tier one guys. Like you, I also took Ryan Helsley in TGFBI. He's my sixth best reliever this season, and I'm very happy with getting him as the, I think, seventh or eighth reliever off the board in that scenario. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like doing tiers when I know that all the guys are left. I could pick who's the best in that tier and take them and not miss out and then have to take from the next tier. That's what I like to do. So I grabbed Ryan Helsley and I'm happy about it. And obviously, investing a fifth round pick in a 15 team league on a closer hurts your soul. It always will. It's never going to be easy. But it's something that you need to do, especially in this climate where there aren't that many set closers. I mean, when I name my list, I can confidently say there's 15 guys with the closer job right now. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them are all question marks. Maybe there's a little bit more 16, 17 if you count like Alex Lang and Trevor May and Kyle Finnegan. But in terms of elite talent, there's like 12 guys and there's 15 guys with jobs. So it is extremely crucial to get one of those tier one guys you need to grab a guy that you can rely on for a base of 25 saves at the least and I think everyone in tier one is probably going to give you 30 or more so I like that in a roto I think it's majorly important and then honestly in a roto league I would like to also get one or two guys in tier two and maybe one guy in tier three to hopefully be the guy because you never know like I said these guys don't have the job. So in TGFBI, mm-hmm. I took Evan Phillips, and then I also took Trevor May and a flyer on Adbert Alzale later on. So mm-hmm. if any of those guys emerge as the closer or do well, like let's say Trevor May gets 20 saves. He's on the A's. He's the only guy really there that's going to get save chances. So great. I bank 15 to 20 saves from him. Then if Adbert Alzale emerges as the guy, he could get me 20 saves. If Evan Phillips is the guy, I think he can get me 30 saves. I mean, he's one of those guys that can really jump up. So... I think it's important to grab a bunch of different options, especially later on for a deeper league like TGFBI, a 15-team league, when it comes to roto categories, because you just never know who can either emerge as the closer or where you're going to get your saves from. That's why it's important to grab one of those top guys. Yeah, and it's also just a good way to not freak out when you're in like round 18 and you realize the only guy you have is like Daniel Bard. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Like as much as I hate picking up an early closer, it really just gives you a peace of mind. Like you just like, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about this. You know, like I, I have Jordan Romano, right? I don't need to fight for Daniel Bard or Jose Leclerc, right? Like I don't need those guys. If I can get them at good value, I will, but I'm not, I don't need to get him, right? And I think having that understanding of where your team is at saves-wise just allows you to draft just so much easier. 
Yeah, it gives you more freedom and allows you to like take a deep breath. Like after I grabbed Helsley, I'm like, okay, now I can address starting pitching. Now I can do mm-hmm. this. I don't have to worry about grabbing a closer or am I going to get one of my tier two guys or what if it doesn't fall to me and what if they get all taken and I'm panicking and I'm starting to freak out like where am I going to get my saves? And right. in a head-to-head league, you can more so punt saves if you wanted to. You really don't have to care about yeah, it. It's could. only one point. Mm-hmm. So in head-to-head, it really doesn't matter that much. But in Roto, it's such a meaningful category where you need to not come in last. Otherwise, it might tank you in the rankings. So that's why I think it's very important, at least this season, to get one of those guys that you know has a job. Like, Mm -hmm. I really love the Clay Holmes, Camilo Duvall, Alexis Diaz tier because I think that those guys could be potential tier one guys next season. Mm-hmm. but you can get them at a really cheap cost. So I do like grabbing maybe two of those instead of one of the tier one guys if I want to have a little bit of a different build. So it's all just how you want to do it, how you want to build it, but I think it's more important than ever because nowadays teams just don't name a set closer that mm-hmm. I think it's more important to have a guy that you can rely on, at least one. I mean, two is great, but one guy that you can rely on and then you have to pick up all the puzzle pieces afterwards I think is a good way to approach saves this season. I think with um, specifically being a Twins fan, right? Like last year, no Twins relievers finished above ten saves. Yep. Um, Emilio Pagan had nine, I think, and um, Johan Duran had eight or something like that. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's because they, d- you know, decide to employ this sort of like fireman role, right? Like when the game is like kind of almost getting out of hand. That's when they insert the best reliever. And I personally, as like a baseball fan, I actually like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the old Andrew me, Miller strategy. So yeah. It just makes so much sense. Like, yeah, the, the heart of the lineup is about to come up. They've got, you know, two men on base, you know, tying runs on deck sort of thing. Yeah. You want your best pitcher out there to shut, to get these two outs or something like that. Yeah. It doesn't help in fantasy, but it sure helps your team. Um, right. And so, I mean, and that's kind of the fun thing where obviously baseball teams aren't playing so that we can get fantasy stats, but it just so happens that some teams do have their rosters set up in a way that works out for, for fantasy managers. And for example, you always will know that Ryan Presley, even though he's got some really good guys behind it, right? Rafael Montero for one. Um, I think Hector Norris is still on that team. Ryan Presley is going to have the job for the Strohs. As long as he can still pitch, basically. Um, they are not taking off him off that mound anytime soon, unless he gets injured, of course, which happened last year. Um, so he's going to have that job, and we're going to be very happy about that as fantasy managers. But it's just so, also important to just understand how other teams are treating the closer position and draft accordingly. Wait, these guys don't play this sport for our fantasy game? Yes, yeah, shockingly, you know? Wow. <laughs> That's news to me. That's crazy. I I didn't even know there was a purpose to the sport. I thought it was just for the fa- anyways. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's wild. Common, uh, it's a common misconception. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we're doing currently for this season for saves leagues. And once again, that's for head-to-head and roto category leagues, not points leagues. That's a little bit different. But moving on to the holds stat. So most leagues nowadays, because the closer situation is so up in the air with teams nowadays. People have changed their leagues to go from saves to saves plus holds. So for our holds leaders for 2022, I'm going to name off the top 20. Anybody who had over 20 holds, I'll name. And we'll just go over a few of these guys because some of these guys, as you can tell, 
were on my rankings for the closer rankings. So some of these guys might just be the closer now. Some of these guys might not have the job anymore. So let's get into that real quick. So for holds in MLB, we had only two people with over 30 holds. Now that's AJ Minter was first with 35 and Brad Boxberger with 30. Then we have everyone who had 20 and above. Hector Neris had 28. Rafael Montero had 27. Kendall Graveman had 27. Zach Jackson had 26. Devin Williams had 26. Cionel Perez for the Orioles had 25. Brooks Raley had 25. Michael Fulmer had 25. Jose Alvarado had 25. Yimmy Garcia had 24. Anthony Bass had 23. Colin Poche had 23. Andres Munoz had 22. Joe Mantiply had 22. Jason Adam had 22. John Schreiber had 22. Luis Garcia had 21. Alex Lang had 21. Domingo Acevedo had 20. Evan Phillips had 20. AJ Puck had 20. And Dennis Santana had 20. So these are the guys that in a save plus hold league, you really want to keep an eye on. And the common theme with them is they're all, excluding Zach Jackson and Cionel Perez, they're all on good teams. So that's one thing I want to just remind everybody is that when drafting pitchers for holds leagues or picking up pitchers for holds leagues, get guys that are setup men on good teams. I mean, let me just name the teams of the list that I just said. Braves, Brewers, Astros, Astros, White Sox, Athletics, exception. Brewers, Orioles, exception. Rays, Twins, Phillies, Blue Jays, Blue Jays, Rays, Mariners, D-backs, exception. Rays, Red Sox, Padres, Tigers, Athletics, Dodgers. You get the point. So most of these top teams, I mean, two people for the Astros finished third and fourth in holds. So you can just tell by the team that they're on and their setting if they're going to be good for holds. Like A.J. Minter this season, I expect him to be another holds leader this year. Because Rizal Iglesias is the closer for the Braves, pretty obviously. And A.J. Minter is in a setup role or a lefty versus lefty matchup role. So he should be getting a lot of holds for the Braves, who are a competitive team that will probably win over 100 games. Brad Boxberger, he's now on the Cubs. We don't know if he's going to be a closer, but if not, he's probably still good in a holds league. He had 30 holds last year, probably going to be good again. Hector Neris and Rafael Montero. Once again, Ryan Presley, as we said, is the set closer there. He even closed the game for Team USA in the WBC. He's very good, and he's not losing his job. So Neris and Montero, another stable source of holds. Then some of the names I'll just throw out real quick that are people that might be closers. Kendall Graveman, who's on this list, who was fifth in holds last season. He might be the closer for the White Sox now with Liam Hendricks down, so either Graveman or Reynaldo Lopez. Devin Williams is now the official closer for the Brewers since Josh Hader is gone. We've got Michael Fulmer, who's on the Cubs, another good option for holds. We've got Andres Munoz, who could be the closer, and if not, probably still good for holds. Joe Mantiply, also same thing. Jason Adam, if him and Fairbanks, one of them might be the closer. And then the last one, Alex Lang and Evan Phillips. Alex Lang is probably the set closer for the Tigers, and Evan Phillips might be the closer for the Dodgers. So they might not give you holds, they might give you saves, but regardless, all of these guys are top options to get you holds. Basically... In saves plus holds league, it, it's not that I ignore relievers, but it's so easy to yes. find saves plus holds. So yeah, John, as you're leading into it, what is your strategy for relievers in saves plus holds leagues? And once again, for head-to-head and roto category leagues. Yeah, I think for me, I think this is where I weight ratios even more, yep. to be honest. Because, because the gap between 
the top saves plus holds guy and the next saves plus holds guy basically is not that big like aj mincer obviously he had they get 39 saves plus holds last year right next closest to that i believe is devin williams who actually had 41 but that's because he he went into the closer role right exactly so so um guys like that and rafa montero also went into the closer role because presley got hurt he has he had 37 saves plus holds like those are obviously like your top guys but then you know you go down this list it's like everyone's kind of in like the 20s ish yeah um, but then, like, for example, Johan Duran, he had 26 saves plus holds. He had a 1.86 ERA, yep. right? Like, you will, you want that from a guy who he threw, I think, 57 innings, I want to say. Uh, I had the numbers right in front of me, and then I just took them off. <laughs> Always happens. Um, but basically, yeah, he 1.86 ERA in, let's see, what is this, 50... Seven games, 67 innings, right? Okay. So really low ERA in pretty decent volume. Um, and then let's see, another guy, Anthony Bass, right? Who, it's not necessarily a name that everyone's like, oh, yeah, I want Anthony Bass. 1.54 ERA in 70 innings. Right, um, yeah. That's really, really solid. Compare that, right? Compare that to Michael Fulmer, 3.39 ERA, 28 saves plus holds in yep. 63 innings. Now, Johan Duran, Sure, he has two less sales plus holds, but would you rather have Johan Duran or Michael Former, right? Like, right. you want the guy with better ratios because the sales plus holds numbers end up equaling out so much. Um, and that that's basically what I focus on here is, is how good are the ratios? Do they contribute to the ratios? Are they going to drag down my team with that? Because I can easily find another guy in the waiver wire who's having a hot month and pick him up and he can do better for my team and still get the same number of saves plus holds. Yeah, so another stat to just throw out there is that there was 53 relievers who had over 15 holds, and then there was 24 relievers who had over 20 holds. So it's really just a smorgasbord of quality relievers that you can pick from. And my strategy for saves plus holds leagues is to completely wait on the whole thing because... These guys are all free. All these guys I just named, A.J. Minter, Brad Boxberger, Zach Jackson, Brooks Raley, Yimmy Garcia. You don't have to draft any of these guys in your draft. If you do a saves plus holds league, just wait. At the end of your draft, pick up the three best options that are on the wire and go with it. And if they stink, replace them with the next best option because Mm -hmm. one will emerge, I promise. And you can really cherry pick what relievers you want, if their ratios are good, if their strikeouts are good, if they're on a good team. It really makes the difference. So... I think one thing you can do in a saves plus holds league, though, because saves are a little bit more valuable from those top guys. I think because in saves plus holds leagues, people know that you can wait on reliever. The top closers kind of get pushed down a lot. And I think it's actually more valuable in this format to maybe even double up on tier one guys, but way later. Like if you can grab, let's say, Emmanuel Classe and Ryan Helsley in rounds 12 and 14 of a save plus hold league, that might give you a significant advantage because you're not going to have to pluck people in the wire and hope that mm-hmm. they are good or have good ratios. You're just going to have two of the top guys for saves and just do well. And you can pair it with other guys as well. But I think since everyone knows that you don't have to rush or even care about relievers in saves plus holds leagues, that you can really get some good value at the top for that position. Yeah, I, I think part of it too is... When you look at safe plus holds numbers, the top closer last year was Emmanuel Classe with 42 right. saves. Zero holds, right? The the guy I just mentioned, 
um, Devin Williams a while back, uh, 41 saves plus hold. So one less. But he's going so much farther down in drafts yeah. than Emmanuel Classe, right? Yep. So, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's not that we're not valuing relievers. It's it's just that the value is a lot better for yes. all other relievers. Right. Um, they're just as valuable, but because there's so many that are good enough to be on your roster, it's less worth it drafting them a lot earlier in, right. in, the, in the draft. Yeah, you won't catch me in a saves plus holds league taking a reliever in the top 10 rounds by far. Yeah. No mm-hmm. shot. But, like, let's say Emmanuel Classe falls to me in the 11th round. Yeah, I might take the guy who led the league in saves last season for a rock there. You know, it depends on the the shallowness of your league. If you're in a, mm-hmm. you know, 10-team or 8-team or 12-team league, maybe you, you know, don't do that. But in a 15-team league and it's a saves plus holds or a 14-team league, yeah, maybe you want to grab that guy so you don't have to put too much worry on it. But, yeah, there's just so many good relievers out there. So for saves plus holds, I really recommend people to look out for the relievers that get good strikeouts have good ratios, and are on good teams. Because if you can get the setup guy for someone on the team of like the Braves, the Astros, the Mets, the Dodgers, if you can get one of those guys who's a setup guy, they're going to be fantastic. And you can even target guys who you know are going to get holds, but they might also get saved. Someone like Andres Munoz or Evan Phillips. Those kind of guys might get both. And one might emerge as the closer, so even if they're in a holds position to start, They might be the closer and then get you saves as well. So it's really smart to just cherry pick who you want and to really look at the quality of the pitcher rather than how many saves or holds can they get me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But let's take a quick break on talking about relievers because when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Jake Crumpler to talk even more about relievers. Stay tuned. We are back and joined by Jake Crumpler, who is a writer and co-host of the In The Pen podcast on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Jake, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty solid. It's been a crazy week. I got my wisdom teeth out on Monday, and then I lost power for like all of Tuesday and half of Wednesday. So it's been pretty hectic, uh, especially for somebody that covers relievers as well with the news coming out of the World Baseball Classic on Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, wisdom teeth getting pulled out. I remember when my wife got her wisdom teeth pulled out, she was loopy for at least a whole day. And I have really funny video footage of her shopping for soup in the supermarket. So that was really, really funny. <laughs> but did you do anything loopy off of the wisdom teeth surgery? No, I, w- I thought that it, I was going to have some sort of effects like that. Like you see all the, the videos on social media of people just acting crazy after those. But I guess I have a good surgeon. <laughs> He uh, did a good job of making sure I was ready to be out in public after I had the surgery. So, yeah, I was, felt pretty normal, to be honest. I, I just went home and played video games the rest of the day. That oh, sounds like nice. a great day, yeah. Or he didn't give you enough sleeping gas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was my first time uh, going under anesthesia. And it was like I was sitting there, and then it was over. And I was like, did they take them out yet? Yeah, and I was looked at my watch, and it had been an hour. And I was like, oh, they must yeah. have taken them out. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. the disorientation of waking up from that is always somewhat hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> but before we get into the interview of you, tell us a little bit more about yourself, Jake. Like how long you've been playing fantasy or what team you're a fan of? Sure. Yeah, I've been playing fantasy for, I don't know, like seven years. But that's like started out with like a four-team league with like my brother and I and a couple of our friends. So I didn't really get serious into it until the past like three years or so. Um, I'm a... Bay Area sports fan, so as as taboo as it is, I'm a Giants and A's fan. I think you can only say that if you're in the Bay Area. Like I feel like in New York, it's really weird to say that, and even in LA. So yep. Giants and A's for me. 
um, yeah, I love fantasy baseball. I write for Pitcher List. I write for Baseball HQ. I, I write for the Athletes Hub. I do a podcast, like you said, in the pen for Pitcher List. And I also do another one for the Athletes Hub called Free Baseball, which is more of a general baseball podcast. But yeah, um, tweet about baseball a lot on Twitter, at Jay Crumpler. So yeah, I basically eat, sleep, and breathe uh, fantasy baseball. That sounds great. Yeah, well, we'll dive straight into relievers. Um, we obviously spent most of this episode talking about relievers in regards to saves and saves plus holds, but there's other pitching categories, right? We've got wins, we've got ratios with the area and whip, um, as well as strikeouts. Uh, when we're looking at you know those specific categories, are there any relievers that stand out to you um, that are good pickups for managers when they, when they're thinking about saves, obviously, but also thinking about guys that help in those other categories as well? Sure. I'll, I'll go category by category. I think wins are very difficult to target mm-hmm. because they're, they're sort of arbitrary. They sort of come by luck, but there is a way to sort of game the system. And I've come across that because my home league is a league that has a game started limit. So I'm always looking for relievers that can throw multiple innings and, yep. you know, grab wins and, and just rack up the points out of the bullpen without using a start. So I'm always looking for guys that, out of the bullpen that's that's pretty easy to suss out uh once the season gets going but preseason i think you just want to look for guys that are starters that don't have a clear role in the rotation so mm-hmm. as of now i'm thinking like the mets with jose quintana out one of david peterson or tyler mcgill is probably going to fill that role in san francisco they have so many starters there that you know one of anthony disclafani or jacob junis or alex wood is going to end up pitching multiple innings there. Aaron Ashby, once he comes off the IL, is one of my favorite targets at some point this season. But just guys like that that have good stuff that that you feel confident that will come in early in ball games. Mm-hmm. I there's some part of me that wants to target certain teams for that where they have a rotation of starters that are more five and dive guys where they'll go four or five innings and the game will still be close and they'll take them out. And then you can sort of trust those uh, first relievers to come in. So I'm thinking like the Rays, the Brewers, I think the Giants are in that same boat. So just target teams like that, that seem to use their relievers in that way. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of interesting with the five and dive thing. Cause that, I mean, that's more common um, in you know, mentioning teams that have a lot more starters. I mean, my team, the twins, they're in the situation right now where they have six good starters and they're deciding, you know, what do we do with Bailey Ober? Is he going to be yeah. a long relief or is he, is he going to go back to AAA? Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting situations like that where um, it's definitely, yeah, more of a team target thing rather than maybe individual relievers. But I, I know, um, you know you're part of the reliever ranks team, you know, writing writing those daily articles. Mm-hmm. And you guys you guys do track, like, who's getting wins, right, and, and who's who might be in line to get um, an opportunity like that, right, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, we have uh, a section on the reliever ranks on the chart where we have every bullpen sort of charted out. There's a long reliever section, and that was mm-hmm. one that I was sort of religiously updating because that was something I was actually using throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Just guys that are going to go multiple innings. I think Trevor Williams was sort of the poster boy for that mm-hmm. for the Mets last year until yeah. he took over the role full-time. He was like a guy that would go multiple innings all the time, and you can sort of – see if they they pitched recently and that's that's something that's uh very valuable throughout the season if you're looking for vulturing wins cool uh well then what about era and whip uh with those two like 
just because you're a good closer doesn't always mean you have good ratios. Um, mm -hmm. Are there specific guys that like really stand out with those two categories? Yeah, there's definitely guys that are discounted in drafts because they don't get as many saves as the rest of the guys. Mm -hmm. Some of the bullpens I'm thinking of are the Giants, the Mariners, and the Cardinals, where you have two guys that are sort of fighting over a role. One guy is a legitimate bullpen ace, but doesn't have a clear hold over the role. So I'm talking about guys like Ryan Helsley, who was incredible last year, but still seems to be splitting the role with Giovanni Gallegos. In mm -hmm. Seattle, you have like Andres Munoz, who's just bonkers out of the bullpen with his 100 plus mile per hour fastball but he's still dealing with uh competing with another great reliever in paul seawald and then in san francisco you have like camilo duvall competing with taylor rogers and i think you can even consider someone like uh yohan duran of your yep. twins that mm -hmm. is just super good probably maybe has some say of being the best reliever in baseball just based on his stuff mm -hmm. and it's not yet clear if he's going to be getting the majority of the saves but if you're want to improve your ratios your strikeouts he's going to be a great pick in every single league every single league and if he does end up grabbing the majority of the saves that's just icing on top of the cake right and then what about strikeouts like obviously these guys don't have as much volume you know they're pitching 60 to 70 innings um but any guys that are kind of strikeout machines from that reliever position i think the majority of elite relievers are big strikeout guys. That's sort of what makes them super intriguing. Mm -hmm. So the majority of the guys in the top tier of closers are going to be big strikeout guys. Like Devin Williams is probably like the number two closer right now with uh, a certain someone out with injury. And mm -hmm. he's like a 40% strikeout guy. That's like an outlier. But if you're looking outside of guys that are in line for saves or guys that are in line to be uh, splitting saves, I think you sort of start seeing guys like, Brian Abreu and James Karinchak come up guys that okay, are going to yeah. strike out at least 35% of batters and probably won't factor into saves, but they will be super elite out of the bullpen. And I think even drafting guys like that in saves only leagues can really improve your team, especially I think where it's most underrated is head to head leagues yeah. because just grabbing like 10 strikeouts a week or so is like, can make a big difference that is sort of unnoticeable. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those are definitely some good targets to go for for wins, ratios, Ks. Relievers are so strange because you can play them in different formats and now there's not that many set closers and now saves plus holds is now a more popular thing amongst the industry. So relievers are just bonkers. And speaking about bonkers things that happen to relievers, unbelievable that Edwin Diaz gets hurt during the celebration of winning in the WBC. But with Edwin Diaz essentially out for the season now, how do you see the Mets bullpen situation working out? Do you think Adovino is the guy, Robertson's the guy? Do they go and outsource? What do you think is happening here? It does seem like one of these veteran guys are going to take over the closer role. I think Robertson right now has the leg up. He's been a closer the most recently, saving like 20 games last year between the Cubs and the Phillies. I, I think he's still got pretty good stuff. And the fact that his like main competition is Adam Adovino, who's the same age as him. Mm -hmm. sort of gives me more confidence that Robertson's going to be that guy. I think Ottavino sort of works better as a setup guy. So right now I think it's between Robertson and Brooks Raley actually, because it's going to be another one of those situations where you want to use the right guy in the right situation. If you got some lefties coming up, you might as well use Brooks Raley in the ninth. Um, the only thing that keeps me from leaning Raley as a guy that might be the full-time closer is he's the only lefty in that bullpen, sort of in the same vein as Brandon Hughes in Chicago where there's no other lefties in that bullpen. You sort of have to save Rayleigh if you come up with a 
an inning where you need a lefty reliever to come in and face a, a plethora of lefties that are that are due up, then you you got to save them, and that sort of keeps them out from being the clear cut closer throughout the year. So David Robertson seems to be the clear guy there, but it does seem like it's a three man race. I don't see too many sleepers in this bullpen. So Robertson, Ottavino, and Rayleigh seem to be the three that are going to have the first shot at it, and I think Robertson's the guy with the most history of closing out games. Yeah, I'm the resident Mets fan here, and I actually have a kind of opposite opinion to that. I think it's going to be Ottavino, and Mm -hmm. the reason why, I just personally think that Ottavino and Robertson have been like the same person for four years. If you look at their stats going back from, I think, 2019 or 2018 to now, they were like good in the same season, bad in the same season, good in the same season. It's been pretty parallel for their careers so far, but... What I know is that Buck, when Edwin needed a break or if there was a high leverage situation that they would put Diaz in last season, and it happened a lot towards the end of the year that most people didn't see, is he would put Adovino in to close. And he would put Edwin Diaz in, in the eighth to face, let's say, the three, four, five guys. But obviously, we didn't have Robertson then. And Robertson is, like you said, a guy who has more of a track record recently of being the closer. So I think Robertson is probably going to be the guy, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ottavino did take the job. I definitely don't think Rayleigh is because we literally, like you said, have no lefty relievers in that pen. So unless David Peterson works a relief role and they put McGill in the rotation, I think Rayleigh is going to be a a lefty specialist or a setup guy because he's really good too. He could definitely be an option. Mm -hmm. Well, Looking at uh, the draft, because we are still very much in draft season. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we mentioned a lot of the good guys already. Ryan Helsley, um, Andres Munoz, for example. Um, who are some reliever- relievers that you have your eye on, though, late in drafts for saves league? Some guys that, you know, maybe you're picking up really late round, you know, 18 through 20 um, in a in a 12-teamer. Uh, who are some of those diamonds in the rough that you're looking at? Yeah, it's actually something I've been pretty in touch with throughout the season, not only because on In the Pen, we sort of have to be in tune with all of the late closers, but also because I wrote an article covering Mm -hmm. the five relief pitcher sleepers for 2023 fantasy baseball. So if you do want more in-depth analysis on these guys that I'm going to mention, go check out that article. But some of the guys that I'm the most excited about, I'm going to start off with Reynaldo Lopez. That's a guy Mm -hmm. who I think is going to be the main guy in Chicago Mm -hmm. because... I think he's more of a closer-esque reliever than uh, Kendall Graveman is. Graveman is more of a ground ball guy. That's somebody that you would want to use in high leverage situations where you have runners on base and you want to get out of a, out of a jam. And Reynaldo is just somebody who broke out last year, has always had a lot of potential. He went to driveline this offseason and seemed to have worked on his slider a lot. And I think if he takes another step forward, he could be one of the best relievers in baseball. And even if he doesn't, last year he still had a 2.76 ERA and a 25% strikeout rate. And for a White Sox team that's actually going to be pretty solid, like they're not going to be bad, he's going to have plenty of save opportunities. I think the fact that he's going well outside of the top 300, I think when I wrote that article, he was had a 343 ADP in draft champions draft since uh, Valentine's Day. I feel hmm. pretty confident in him. And outside of that, I mean, it's hard to pick. I pick, I chose like six guys to write about that, but I'll go uh, a little deeper. I'll go with Bruzar Gratterall, as much as it pains me to talk positively about Dodgers <laughs> players. Um, Bruzar Gratterall is a guy that I have been favoring a lot, like at the very end of 15-team drafts. 
Um, it might be a little too late for 12 teamers, but he's still a guy to put on your watch list at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. The Dodgers are without Daniel Hudson to start the year. And that means it's Bruce Argadwell and Evan Phillips fighting for a role. I think Evan Phillips came out of nowhere last year. He's had, he's got a very short track record, so I'm not totally confident that he's going to repeat next year. I know you sort of have to have confidence that the Dodgers know what they're doing and they're able to have help him continue his success into next year. But Bruzar has sort of been the closer of the future for a while. I know John can probably right. talk a little bit about what he was like as a prospect for the oh, Twins, yeah. mm-hmm. but he's just got such incredible stuff. You got to expect his strikeout rate to sort of rise a little bit, especially if you look at his swinging strike rate. I think it was at like 14% or so, and that's sort of indicative of a higher um, – it was 12%. So that's sort of indicative of a higher strikeout rate than the 22% he had last year. Mm-hmm. And even still, he's just such a dominant reliever with his blazing fastball that induces tons of ground balls. And I think the fact that he's on a, such a good team like the Dodgers, he's just got such a high ceiling and the floor is super high, especially in saves plus holds leagues. Because if he doesn't get that clear cut closer role, he's going to mm-hmm. get a ton of holds and he's going after pick 400 in draft champions draft. So that's like a really late dart that I've been willing to throw constantly yeah grottle is kind of interesting because like you mentioned the stuff is really electric but then if you look at the stats like he profiles out more as like a ground ball pitcher uh even with that you know that 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 high heat that he's got mm-hmm. um so it's interesting yeah with with Gratterall, if he's ever going to really you know have a lock on that job and he's super young he's only like I think 24 years old so um still plenty of time for the dodgers to you know develop him in, into the closer of the future um but yeah, that that's a very interesting reliever group that's that's over there in LA, and um, interested to see who kind of wins out if if they decide to do committee or if they decide to, you know, have uh, Phillips be the closer for now with with Hudson out. And as you just mentioned, Bruce Gratterall being a great option for saves plus holds leagues, basically piggybacking off of the last question, who are a couple relievers that you have your eye on late in the drafts or maybe picking up later on after the drafts in saves plus holds leagues. Yeah, I guess I should have saved Bruzdar for that one. But uh, that was a great segue. It was a great segue. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I, the thing with safe plus holds leagues is that it widens the player pool a lot, mm-hmm. um, mostly because holds has a, a much higher. I think floor is, is the right term to use here. There's going to be a ton more ten and twenty hold players than there are going to be ten and twenty save players, mm-hmm. and you just won't see them reach the peak of, of 40 holds like you will with a closer. So with closers, you're getting guys that are have a much higher ceiling, but the floor is a lot lower, while with holds guys, you've got a much higher floor and a lower ceiling. And so I think that really widens the player pool. So here you sort of just want to go guys, go with guys that have really incredible stuff. They do, they perform really well. They, they post good ratios. They get a bunch of strikeouts. It doesn't really matter what role they're going to be in because they're sure to jump into a late inning high leverage role that allots them a bunch of holds. You can look at guys that are splitting closer roles, like Taylor Rogers, who's going to get a lot of holds and a lot of saves. He's going to get the sa- the closer role outright over Camilo Duvall, but he will get a lot of holds if he doesn't get the closer role, and he's probably going to get you know five to ten saves at the very least. So that's a guy I'll be targeting there because he's been so good across the past couple of seasons, and his underlying metrics suggest last year was really unlucky. But outside of that, I, I think just like some of the guys that I mentioned earlier, Brian Abreu and James Karinchak are really interesting guys to target late just because they're going to be so good no matter what in terms of ratios and strikeouts. I, honestly, the guy that I've been taking really late darts on in a lot of my drafts is Michael King. Hmm. 
Yeah. Part of that one. is due to Clay Holmes. Yeah, part of that is due to Clay Holmes being a ground ball pitcher, like I talked about, Kendall Graveman and Bruce Dark Gratterall, that may be better suited for a, a high leverage role where he's coming in to get the team out of jams. I already know that Aaron Boone sort of noted that he's not the outright closer this year. And Michael King was so good last year. I mean, pretty much every single league he was rostered because he was so good going multiple innings and stuff. And if he can take over the ninth inning role and still show the same success that he had last year before getting injured, that's a guy I'm super interested in, especially because he's going like post 450 or something. He, he's just going to be really great in basically every league. And you're not wasting too much of draft capital taking him where he's going. Yeah, Michael King is a great shout. He's someone that's awesome to take late in your drafts for sure. Pick up on the waiver if you have done your draft already because he could be the closer, but regardless for saves plus holds leagues, he's going to be dominant. Yeah, PLV loves his curveball. I think they have it as the, the number one curveball according to PLV. Damn. Look at you go, Mr. King. But, Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to come here and talk a little bit more about relievers. I know you already do a lot of that on in the pen. So I'm going to throw it to you and sign off. However you want mention your Twitter shout out in the pen. You go right ahead. Sure. Well, once again, thanks for having me on. It's uh, always fun talking to you guys. I enjoy talking relievers. I, I know it's uh, a difficult subject to cover for many people. So I, I consider it, you know, we're doing God's work over here at In the Pen and, and uh, <laughs> in Wins Above Fantasy. You know, we're doing the work that people don't want to do. But yeah, you can follow me at Jake Crumpler on Twitter. Uh, you can read my articles at PitcherList, Baseball HQ, and The Athlete's Hub. You can listen to my other podcasts, In the Pen on PitcherList, and Free Baseball on The Athlete's Hub. That one's more of like a, a YouTube live thing that we do. Um, but if you want to find all of my work in one place, you can go to crumplerbaseball.com. It's got all of my articles and all of my podcasts. So if you are just a huge fan of Jake Crumpler, then that's the place to go. <laughs> now, before we let you go, real quick, just just a name. Who's your favorite reliever? <laughs> I have a feeling you know the answer. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Pete Fairbanks. We've okay. been uh, pumping him up super high in, in the pen. I tweeted about him earlier this offseason. He's just got such an incredible fastball that he pumped up two miles per hour last season up to 99 miles per hour and had a 99th percentile PLV and was actually the number one fastball according to PLV. This is all off my head, by the way. Um, yeah, this was he, not he was prepped at incredible. all for everyone who wants yeah. to know. This is straight <laughs> off the cuff. Two straight scoreless innings to end last season. He had like a 43% strikeout rate and a 3% walk rate across those uh, the small sample he had last year. And to top things off, the Rays signed him to an extension, meaning they don't have to worry about his arbitration money being pushed up due to him racking up saves so i have a lot of confidence that he's going to be the go-to guy there and he is going to be incredibly dominant this year i love that well jake thank you once again for joining us and i hope you have a great rest of your day thank you now let's talk about the mlb news since our last podcast as we mentioned at the beginning of the show Edwin Diaz sustained a right knee injury after celebrating Puerto Rico's win over the Dominican Republic in the WBC to advance them to the quarterfinals. The mood in the stadium went from extremely excited to sadness and crying. It was horrible, and it was confirmed later that it's a right patellar tendon injury. Diaz will undergo surgery, and the recovery time for this is eight months. So Diaz is most likely out for the entire season before the season even begins Devastating for Mets fans, but once again, this is not the WBC's fault. 
Freddie Freeman had slight hamstring tenderness during a WBC game on Tuesday. The severity is unknown, but the Dodgers don't believe that it will keep him from playing on opening day. Mark Melanson has a right subscapularis injury, which is his right shoulder. He'll be receiving a PRP injection and will start the season on the injured list. Andrew McCutcheon is dealing with some minor right elbow soreness. He'll rest for two weeks before deciding whether he is ready for opening day or not. Seiya Suzuki is at a point where he's playing light catch and taking non-contact swings. However, it's still unlikely that he'll be ready for opening day. The Cubs are hoping he'll be available by mid-April. Now, John, do you have anything to add for Seiya Suzuki? Uh, it's kind of interesting with him being down. The guy who probably gets more at-bats now is Trey Mancini. Uh, you know, basically right-hander roll slots into the right field for the Cubs. Um, and... With Mancini, it's it's interesting because obviously he had a really solid season with Baltimore, and then he went to Houston and really didn't contribute much. Although he did get a get a World Series ring from that, so so good for him. Um, and we talked a lot about on this show on how outfield is incredibly shallow, hard to find good ones. And Mancini, if he's able to play for you know a couple of weeks, I, I, he might be a sneaky guy to pick up on the waiver wire or maybe at the, in the last couple of picks of the draft, just because you know you're going to get like maybe two to three weeks of playing time for him. Um, especially since with oblique injuries, I think Suzuki is going to be brought back a little bit more slowly. Um, he, I think he got injured in, at the end of September, and the timetable at that time was like four to six weeks. So he would be back, you know, mid-April. That, that's what we said, and, and that's what the team's saying. But it's possible he could go even longer if that oblique's not healing fast enough. And I think that just gives Mancini more opportunity to play in the outfield. Another guy to keep your eye on, Christopher Morrell, super speedy guy. Um, kind of, you know, is, is if he's drafted, it's for his steals. But he does have some power potential too. So if Christopher Morrell starts getting more at-bats, if, if that's the direction that the team's going, um, then maybe it makes sense to pick him up as well. So yeah, keep your eye on a Morrell or Mancini um, in the Suzuki news because if, if he's really down for a little bit longer, like a month, um, both those guys could um, be big contributors to a team early on. Um, if they're not, you could just drop them because they're essentially free. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Mancini. I think I recommended him last year when he got traded to the Astros, and then like the next game he hit two home runs. So a little <laughs> victory lap there for me, a little pat on the back. Right. Moving on with the news, Andres Munoz, who has been dealing with a foot injury, made his debut on Thursday in a spring training game. He's been slowly brought back by the Mariners, but is looking to be ready for opening day. Atlanta announced that Kyle Wright, who got a cortisone injection in his shoulder in January, will make his spring training debut next week. He has done some work in live BP and is slated to make two Grapefruit League starts and a minor league start after camp breaks. He should be on track to take his turn in the rotation, so hopefully that works out that way. Upsetting news here, Cade Cavalli will require Tommy John surgery after he was diagnosed with a grade 3 UCL sprain. The 24-year-old prospect will have to wait for 2024 to be back in the major leagues. Really sad stuff. Kay Cavalli has a lot of potential and just isn't getting that break yet. Really hate to see that for the kid. Tony Gonsolin is back on a throwing program this week, but the Dodgers have said that there is still no timetable for his return. He will likely open the season on the injured list as he continues to recover from a left ankle sprain. Vlad Guerrero Jr. played in his first game on Wednesday after dealing with right knee soreness at the beginning of the season. In addition, with the Dominican Republic eliminated from the WBC, Vlad will be staying in Blue Jays' camp until opening day. The Yankees are trying Isaiah Kiner-Falefa in center as they continue to deal with outfield injuries. 
However, the more important result of this change is that it looks like Oswald Peraza will lock up a spot on the big league roster, and top prospect Anthony Volpe may also make the opening day roster, so we'll have to see for that. Volpe's had an incredible spring training so far, and if it's a competition between Volpe and Peraza, I think Volpe has to win it, so we'll see with that Yankee situation. Do you have a favorite there, John, Peraza or Volpe? I have both on my dynasty team, so I'm good with either guy making nice. it. Um, Peraza is a little bit older. He's got he he had a little bit more experience. He had about 18 games in in the majors last year. Um, actually, did really well. He had a 10.5% walk rate, 404 OBP. Um, the the power wasn't really there, but he's never been like a big power guy. He had 19 homers in AAA last year, so that, that's kind of the peak of what he's at. Uh, Volpe obviously just much more ta- talented. Uh, but also is younger. So with him, it, it's hard to say, you know, how he's going to adjust to the majors. Um, you know, his strengths are he's got pretty decent power, really good speed. He had 44 steals in double A last year. Obviously, that's not going to necessarily translate to major league production, but um, it's cool to see, um, you know, good, good walk rates. Uh, he's around 11 percent. He had 8 percent tri- walk rate in triple A last year over. 99 plate appearances so it is what it is um i think praza likely is like more likely to start than than volpe for now just because volpe so much younger but um obviously when you have two really good prospects it's it's uh it's a good problem to have for the yankees yeah with glaber coming up on free agency as well i think it's almost mm-hmm. guaranteed he's going to leave and peraza and volpe will be short and second at some point because they're mm-hmm. both yep. really talented but volpe is just an elite level prospect so We'll see how that goes. Hopefully he makes the team. Hopefully he plays because he's very, very good. Right. Jose Quintana will undergo rib surgery and is not expected to return until July. Now this means David Peterson and Tyler McGill have a chance of being in the rotation. Kodai Sanga has dealt with a little bit of a finger problem, but he did just pitch again in spring training and he should be good to go for opening day. But if anything happens to anybody else in that rotation, both David Peterson and Tyler McGill should join the rotation. But Hopefully it's just one of them because I just want this team to be healthy. Come on. (laughs) Paul Blackburn will miss his next scheduled start as he's dealing with a right middle fingernail avulsion, a.k.a. a torn fingernail. What a weird word for that whole process. Avulsion. I've got an avulsion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Someone get the clippers. I've got an avulsion. Until the nail heals, he'll be unable to do much besides long toss. This may mean that he gets skipped over in the rotation in the regular season until it completely heals. So just keep an eye on that if you're interested in Paul Blackburn. Ranger Suarez has resumed throwing after dealing with left forearm tightness when he started for Venezuela in the WBC. He'll likely be ready for opening day, but make sure you monitor that situation. And lastly, Nick Gordon is available after dealing with a high left ankle sprain and should be ready for opening day. Gordon continues to be a sneaky pick late in drafts as the Twins are very motivated to keep his bat in the lineup, despite the fact that he's essentially a utility player. So, that wraps up all the MLB news since the last podcast. There's been a lot, some brutal injuries a Tommy John surgery, a patellar tendon injury, just a lot of crazy things. But that wraps up everything for this podcast. It was an information-filled one, that's for sure. But before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can find myself on Twitter That's at Regicidal, R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, 
please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.